Now, last week as we started this series called Love Lessons, we saw a foundational truth, and that truth is that God is love. You see, we saw together the source of love, but we also saw the standard of love. And the standard of love is that we are to love one another. It was also there that we saw the symbol of love, the cross of Jesus Christ. And today as we dive deeper into looking into this subject of love, we go back again to the authority, the Word of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 13. 1 John three thirteen. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If somebody has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We live in a culture that craves love. And that's because God has created each of us with a deep need not only to be loved, but to love the people around us. But how often do we overuse and misuse the word love because we misunderstand it? Now, you don't have to go to the Word of God to see that people have a desire and a desperate need to be loved. If you just look out at our culture and the cry and the craving for love, today, if you were wanting to buy a book with the title Love, if you went to Amazon, there are currently 32,500 books available with love in the title. There are a further 145,000 that speak into the subject of love. When it comes to music, there are over 11,000 albums that talk about love. Websites, 121 million websites that deal with love. You see, we're a culture that is craving love, but do we really understand love? And in the church, even as children of God, do we understand love? You see, we are called to look to the Bible and not to the media. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions on the front end of this message. And the first question is this, who are you letting define love for you? Christ or the culture? Who is defining the definition of love for you? Secondly, which love have you chosen? God's love? or the love that is offered by the world? And lastly, which love is currently defining your life? Are you being defined by the love that's talked about in the Word of God or the love that the world has to offer? You see, as Christians, John calls us to choose God's love, and it is a choice. It's a decision. It's amazing how much of the Christian life is really simply a choice to follow Christ. 
If you stop and think about the call to follow Christ, when you and I say, Jesus, I am going to follow you, that means that we choose everything that Jesus stands for. You and I can't just pick and choose between Christ and the culture. It is a package deal. Now, if you came over to my house and let's say that I was going to make you a healthy smoothie, and I went and I got a nice big tall glass of water, and I poured that spring water in there, and I told you that that needed to be the basis for this smoothie, that you're mostly made of water, and so you need a little water in your life if you haven't figured that out yet. Some of you look a little dehydrated, a little dry. And then I went out into the yard, into the driveway, and I got me two big handfuls of of rocks, gravel. And I dumped that in with the water. How many of you at this point are no longer interested in the smoothie? Because you recognize that you don't need rocks in your digestive system, okay? You're not a crocodile. But what if then I compensated by going and getting a really big, heaping, helping spoonful of protein powder? And I dumped that in there because you need a little protein in your life. And then I went outside and I got some dry sticks and twigs and leaves and I threw them in and we put the lid on and we hit go on the blender. And we blended it all up. Can you imagine the noise of those rocks going in there? You see, that's what's going on in a lot of our lives. We're trying to blend part of what Christ offers and part of what the culture offers. You see, as Christ ones, we're to choose light, not darkness. Truth, not the lies. Confession, not concealment. Love, not hate. But what is this love that John speaks about? Well, it's here that you and I, number one, see the explanation of love. And one of the wonderful things about the Greek writing is that they had different names for different kinds of love. And we're so limited in our culture today because we only have one word. It's love. And so we say things like this. I love pizza. I love my wife. Now, hopefully, there's a difference to that love. Hopefully, what you're saying is, I like pizza and I love my wife. Some of you, you may love pizza more than you love your wife. And that's a problem. But you see, you and I don't have any way of really defining that in our culture. We just sort of intuitively know and sometimes sort of guess what kind of love are you talking about. And to understand the love that John is talking about, we need to talk about those Greek words. And many of you are familiar with this. There are four Greek words. There's storage, there is phileo, there is eros, and there is agape love. Storage love is a love between family members. And today, I primarily want to go ahead and focus on the other three. You see, phileo love is a foundational first love. It is a friendship kind of of love. And then we have eros love, which we're familiar with. That is a romantic love. Now imagine with me for a moment, a boy and a girl who are friends. They are experiencing phileo love. When one day the boy suddenly realizes that something has changed. And as he goes to that girl and his heart's starting to beat faster, his mouth is getting dry, his palms are getting sweaty, he says to her, I like you. He hasn't quite mastered the art of romance yet. And she says, I know, I like you too. And he says, no, no, you don't understand, I really like you. 
and she intuitively knows in that moment that he loves her. But what kind of love is that? It's a romantic love, right? You see, the next form of love is agape love. It is a deeper love. It's Christ's love. It's the highest form of love. It is a sacrificial, unconditional, no-strings-attached kind of love. Now imagine if that boy and that girl in their romance get married. And they live happily ever after until they have their first big fight. That's usually how that goes. And it's at that moment that that young girl realizes that she doesn't friendship phileo love this boy. She definitely doesn't eros romantically love him. What happened to that romance? Well, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, and it's gone. And it's at this point that unless they extend to each other that agape Christ-like love, there will be no way to restore or to redeem that relationship. But when we choose to love each other with a deeper Christ-like love, it changes everything. You see, that eros love in many ways, even though we love the romance, if we're honest and we dive a little below the surface, we discover it's kind of a selfish love. What was it that caused the boy to pursue the girl? He liked what he saw. It was about his senses. It was about his sight. It was about him. What was it that caused him to continue to pursue the girl? The way it made him feel. And some of you have experienced the drug of love that causes you to lose your mind. You can't eat. You can't sleep. You can't study. I remember when I was in college, planning my day around accidentally bumping into Angel. And no, those were not accidents. Those were well-thought-out, planned missions of success. But that's what love does to us, right? But you see, unless that fairly selfish, self-centered love runs into that sacrificial agape love, it will never last. The same is true of the phileo friendship kind of love. Most friendships are based on some activity, some hobby, some like, something that draws us together, and then there has to be a give and take in the relationship. That's what sustains a friendship. But what happens in those friendships when there is more take than there is give? It puts this incredible strain on the relationship, and unless there is agape love, that relationship probably is going to fail. And many of you can think about friendships that you had at one point in your life where there was a give and a take, but at some point there was more taking than there was giving. And there was a fracture in that friendship. You see, in marriage, we need all three of these. And I want you to know that we need that phileo, that friendship foundational relationship. And I can honestly say to you today that my best friend is my wife. There's times that that guys will say, hey, let's go do this, so let's go do that. And I have an opportunity to choose and, and to do something with my wife, my best friend, or my friends. And I want to do something with my best friend. But you need to understand that even if you're best friends, that's not the foundation that's going to cause your marriage to survive, especially in the storms of life. And we look at this eros romantic love and, and what's sad to me in our culture is, is that we, we sort of approach marriage where we pursue and we chase and we're romantic and then as men we sort of like, it's like a hunting trip and the moment that we shoot the deer we put it on the wall and the romance is over, right? And that 
beautiful brides, like what happened to this guy? Can I, can I tell you, keep being the boy that pursues the girl. Keep chasing her. Keep chasing her heart. My wife has drawers filled with love letters. And, and there are two different times in our life that we were going to be apart. Once when we were dating, we were engaged. The other was later when I took a sabbatical. And while we were dating, she was in America and I was in Africa. And I was going to be away from her for three weeks. So I sat down and wrote her 21 love poems and letters, put them in individual envelopes, sealed them with each day. Now, I don't know if she actually honored the system and actually only opened one a day or not. The second was when I took my sabbatical and for six weeks I was going to be away. And so for every single day that I was away, I wrote her a poem or a letter. I have or she has a rock that I painted her when we were in college. There's nothing really special about the rock. The word love is on there. But I, I think probably statistically what's going to happen is what happens to a lot of us as guys. We just can't seem to keep up with the gal and we seem to go to heaven sooner. <laughs> and she's going to be in that rest home, resting, taking a nap in the middle of the day. The great grandkids are going to come busting through the door and they're going to say, Grandma, what is that ugly rock by the foot of your bed? And she's going to say, let me tell you about that rock. You see, we love those lines. You had me at hello. But can I tell you something? Romance in and of itself is not enough to sustain your relationship. You need that deeper agape love. And what is that deeper agape love? It is the love of Jesus Christ. It's a love that's willing to reach out without regard of getting back. It is a love that is willing to meet the core needs of that individual at a time when they're least deserving and probably at the greatest personal cost to you. You see, it's an un-strings-attached love, unconditional love, sacrificial love. And so I want to ask you, are you loving the people that God has put in your life with a Christ-like love or a conditional love? Because a conditional love is what I call a circus love. It's crazy. And we like it when the circus comes to town for a little while. There's a lot of activity. That is until the monkeys get out of the cage and the elephants start messing all over the floor. That is until all of a sudden our spouse is making us jump through these hoops. Many of them are on fire. Honey, it's okay. I'll love you if you just jump through the hoop that tightrope walker. And we see that tightrope, and some of you have this in your relationship where one step wrong in any direction, one misstep, and everything's going to fall apart, and you're going to fail. And for many of us today, we don't understand that 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 conditional love that we're placing on each other leads to performance. And we start to perform instead of to be transformed. I don't want to ask you, are you loving people with a conditional performance-based love or are you loving people with a Christ-like transformational love? Because here's what happens when we put conditions on people, when we put hoops, even if they make it through the hoops, what happens is it just changes their behavior, but it doesn't change their heart. That's not real love. Love goes deeper than just the surface of behavior. It touches the very heart 
Is the way that you're loving your kids, the way that you're loving your spouse, the way that you're loving your coworker, transforming their lives because it's changing their heart? Or are you just putting conditions on them to try to mold their behavior to fit something that makes you feel comfortable? You see, it's here, number two, that we see that love is expressive. You and I are not just called to live in the love of Christ. We are to live out the love of Christ. And the Bible is based on three great loves, God's love for us, our love for him, and our love for others. And if you look at the picture of that, his love for us, our love for him, and then our love for others, what do you see? You see the picture of the cross, the greatest demonstration of love that Christ gave his life for each and every one of us. You see, Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, said that we are to love our neighbors, and there was a lawyer there present that day, and And he needed a few more details. And so he said, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know the story of the Good Samaritan. You see, this lawyer wanted to know about love in the abstract. Jesus taught about it in action. And I think many of us today, we love like lawyers. We want to limit our love because we're afraid, man, Jesus, you can't open it up that big. You can't take it to the extremes that the people I'm called to love or even my enemies I want to have a lawyer kind of love. I want to have a limited love. I want to be in control of that love. But you see, we're not called to be in control. We're called to live like Christ, to let go of that control and to allow Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit, to control our lives. And so when I ask you, uh, are you loving people like the Lord or are you limiting love like a lawyer today, a lawyer kind of a love? Now, John here says, if anyone sees a brother or sister in need. And that's very significant because many of us, we don't see the people around us in need today. Why? Because we're so wrapped up in self. We've almost become like these horses with blinders on and and we sort of want to turn away from, from all of the issues and the problems around us because we've got so many of our own problems. But what's significant about that word sees there is it's where we get our word for theater. Now, when you go to the theater, whether that is a play or a movie, you don't walk in and watch the first scene and then say, I've had enough, I'm walking out. Unless you went ahead and walked into a movie you shouldn't have walked into. And there are some times we we go to a movie thinking it's one thing and it's something else. And some of you, you're like, well, I already paid this much money. I'm going to sit here. No, don't. Get up. Leave. Count it as a cost. You lost a little money, but, but... but you're not filling your mind with garbage. But when we're talking about something that is worth seeing, that's what John's talking about here. What do we do? We watch the whole show. Why? Because we need to see the whole story unfold on the stage. That's what he's really saying. He's not saying if you glance at somebody in need, if you really truly see them, if you sit through the whole show and you see the story of their life to the point where it really grabs a hold of your heart. Now, the dictionary defines love as a noun, and I disagree with that, and not only because I'm dyslexic, I think that love is a verb because it's an action word. You see, without a lover... There is no love. Love is not some principle. It is a practice. And it is here that you and I see number three, the expense of love. 
and how expensive love really is because it says here that they persecuted Jesus and they hated him and they're going to hate you. There's a cost to following Jesus Christ. But it is not just the cost of persecution. It is the cost of providing and meeting the needs of those less fortunate than you. Because you and I are called just like that good Samaritan to give of our time, give of our talents, give of our treasures. And as we meet those needs, we understand that there is a cost to compassion. Now, to some degree, I'm preaching to the choir here. Because as a church, you get the cost of compassion. When I talked to you about our neighbors at the other end of the state in need, you responded and sacrificially gave $25,000 and two trailer loads of supplies that we hauled down there. Last weekend, we had Compassion Weekend. Nicole came, a former Compassion kid who's now all grown up, who experienced somebody who paid the cost so that she could be fed and she could hear about Jesus. And she got saved, and now she's serving him as a missionary, and God is doing an amazing work in her life. And i got to share something that she shared with me. And this is not to put any other church down. This is not to try to somehow pridefully elevate ourselves. It's just what she shared. And she said, I've fallen in love with your church. And here's why. Most churches I go to, the pastor preaches a separate sermon. The worship has nothing to do with these kids and loving these kids. And then at the end, there's five minutes, and i got to get up and talk about these kids. But you made it all about them. Now, Compassion International entrusted to us 40 children, not packets, children to sponsor. And they were out there. And before this service started this morning, all 40 of those kids have been sponsored. And and in two months, in three months, in four months, guess what? Those of you that said yes to one of those kids, you're going to experience the cost of compassion. Because that money is going to come out of your bank account. You're going to see that. It'll actually physically cost you something. That's what... Love is. It's expensive. It's not a cheap love. And we, we, we've got to stop looking for this cheap love and expecting it to just be convenient and comfortable. It's not. It's convicting. Now, if there's anybody on the planet that understands the cost of compassion, surely it's moms. You see, if you think about a mom, she understands what it means to sacrifice for love. Think about how children come into this world. Those moms that have to go through the pain and the cost of childbirth. Moms that have to go through the cost of adopting children. And we quickly recognize the pain involved in in birthing a child, but do we understand the pain and the cost of going through an adoption, of having the bag by the door ready to go and waiting on that phone call and getting the phone call and then getting a phone call to say, you know what, the birth mother's changed her mind as it tugs and rips at your heart. You see, there are big costs, there are small costs. I'll never forget my mama looking me in the eye and seeing her eyes of love as she lied to me and told me that she liked burnt toast. She didn't like burnt toast. There ain't no mama on the planet that likes burnt toast. You like burnt toast, something's wrong with you. She liked me more. She loved me. I will never get that sound or that smell of charcoal out of my brain and that scraping of the toast. Honey, it's, it's pretty good. I'll, I like this. You take the fresh stuff because she loved me. 
Small costs, but still costs. I don't think there's a single mom that hasn't experienced the cost of a lack of sleep. As I was walking through the aisles looking at how we've commercialized every single holiday, Mother's Day included, I was thinking, you know, there needs to be an aisle where you can go buy sleep. If there was one gift to give on Mother's Day, here is a week of sleep. You are my knight in shining armor. (laughs) Right? Some of you... Maybe that's what you need to give, not today. Mom wants to spend time with you today, but maybe later this week or this month to just simply say to her, you know, I'm taking the kids and we're going to go play outside away from the house for a couple of hours. You go have some peace and quiet. She probably won't know what to do with herself. Peace and quiet, what is that? Because you're constantly paying this cost. I was talking to an amazing mom in our church this week, and she was sharing with me how sometimes... Uh, a lot of times she struggles to sleep at night and she just can't fall asleep real good. And I said, well, you need to check with your doctor. I'm your pastor and I haven't stayed in a Holiday Inn Express, so I'm not that smart either. But sometimes a little melatonin in small doses can help, but you got to talk to your doctor first. And here's what she said to me. She said, I'm afraid to do that. I've thought about it, but I'm afraid that I would sleep so well that I wouldn't hear my kids if they needed me. That's the heart of a mama. You see, love is expensive. And lastly, it is extensive. You and I cannot limit love. And we so want to limit love today to what we're comfortable with. We really don't want it to cost us. But do you see the kind of lavish love that that John talks about here? That Jesus laid down his life, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's, that's a really expensive and extensive kind of love, isn't it? Do you realize that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died voluntarily, but he rose victoriously? That he cried out, it is finished. That love wins, it doesn't wait. That love is the warrior that is willing to wage into the war to rescue and to redeem the object of its affection. And there are many of us today, we are limiting love to what we're comfortable with. We don't really want it to have that kind of a cost, and we don't want it to be very extensive. We want to limit it kind of like a lawyer would limit it. Now, we're all familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse, right? Right? We know John 3.16, but are we living out 1 John 3.16? Are we content just to know John 3.16, or are we convicted to go and to live out 1 John 3.16? That because Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for others. That is a sacrificial kind of love. So why don't we love that way? Because we're afraid. What if I love my spouse that way and they don't love me back? What if I love my kids that way and they don't love me back? What if I love my coworkers that way and they don't love me back? Can I tell you that perfect love casts out fear? That it is time for us to stop listening to the voice of fear and to start by faith listening to God our Father. And there are many of us say we're limiting love because we're listening to our fears and not to our Father. For some of you, you're limiting love because you've been hurt pain in your past. For some of you, you're limiting love because of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. But can I ask you this question? What would happen in your marriage if you were to agape love your spouse? 
If you were to just say, Jesus, I am going to be obedient and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to agape love my spouse. I know they don't deserve it. That's the whole point of agape love. What if you were to agape love your kids? We've got a crisis in our schools today. And by and large, here's what we're doing. We're saying the problem's just in the school. It's in the kids going to school. And where are they going to school from? Our homes. But what would happen if we agape loved our kids? If they knew, regardless of the grades, regardless of the performance review, regardless of how high they jumped, how fast they ran, how many points they scored at a game, they were unconditionally loved. You know what would happen? We'd have kids go to school with a confidence, not an arrogance. We'd have kids that were ready for the day. We would have kids that would be loving each other instead of trying to kill each other in school. What would happen if we would agape love the church? Now, the bride of Christ has spots and wrinkles and blemishes. She is not the most beautiful at times, but Jesus Christ died for her. What if we would just agape love the church, and instead of criticizing and constantly complaining about the church, we would just love the church, each other? What if we would love this community? How would that change the world? Now, behind me is a desk, and that is my mama's desk. Fifteen years ago, my mama went to be with the Lord. When I was nine years old, I left Africa and got on a plane and flew 10,000 miles away from home on my own to England to go to boarding school. And every week, my mama faithfully sat at that desk and wrote me a love letter so that I would know that I was loved and cared for even though she couldn't be there. And for the first time this weekend at the Saturday night and the early service, I shared something I had never shared before. When I was that little kid and they would hand out the mail and I would see that letter from my mom, I knew I couldn't read it at school because I knew I'd cry. I knew that I would get bullied and picked on. So I just kind of took it and shoved it in my coat pocket. And later I would sneak off of campus and there was this drainage ditch. You know those big kind of wrought iron drainage pipes that go under roads? I would crawl into that. And I would open up that letter and I would read it and I would cry. Do you realize out there in this community there are kids that feel that way? Only they don't have a love letter. They don't have anyone speaking love into their life. You see, here's the thing. You and I need to live our lives in such a way that we are that love letter. That's what John's really saying here. Now, that desk is my desk. And when I graduated from boarding school at age 16, I got the privilege of going to a Christian college in America, and I met this amazing woman. I already told you about that drug. Lost my mind. Still haven't quite found it, which is a good thing. And so I would sit at that desk in Africa and I would write these love letters to this girl in America. So what does love look like? Well, I would like to invite my kids to come. Chris and Maddie, I'd like you to stand on my left. And Sophia and Olivia, I'd like you to be on my right. 
We talked about three kinds of love. Yellow roses symbolize friendship. And this is a friendship love that you're holding today. Red roses, that eros, romantic, passionate love, you're married, so you get that one. This agape love. Pink roses represent love, and I want you to hold on to that. Behind me is a bouquet filled with all three of those colors, the friendship love, that romantic love, and that agape love. And there's 25 roses 